What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to a Super Bowl recap, Ringer Gambling Show House. It's a sad day. It's a bad day. Uh, you know, not because we didn't win. I mean, I, I hope I hope that you did. I won money betting the Super Bowl this year. I would have loved to win a little bit more money, uh, but I ultimately won money and enjoyed a outstanding game. And I think that's all you can ask for uh, when you're when you're betting the Super Bowl and watching the Super Bowl. But it's a sad day, bad day because. The season is over and now it's just research mode. I do get to catch up a little bit on sleep. I've already pivoted towards focusing on free agency and the off season and, and things along those lines. But, you know, it's it's out of my routine now to not be sitting here trying to analyze what I think is going to happen in a game, whether it's a week from now or two weeks from now, like the Super Bowl was. So it's, it's definitely a change of pace, a, a dash of cold water to the face in the morning. But how how did everything work out for you from a betting perspective? And do you feel the same? Or is it a little bit of a letdown right now from a from a high? Buddy, the the sad day, bad day was really like from when I woke up Monday morning till about lunchtime on Monday. And then it's bam, let's start thinking about next season where we have coaches changed in places. We have quarterback scuttlebutt. There's rumors like we're immediately lunchtime Monday after the Super Bowl into next season. Let's move on. I know what my uh, 
bank uh, roll looks like from the Super Bowl. I, I kind of ended up treading water a little bit. I like the Chiefs. I had the Chiefs in a, in a variety of different combinations. Um, the props, you know, got got uh, into like 500 territory. Some of the things, you know, the Pacheco uh, idea as him as a, as a receiver, they, they went with uh, McKinnon instead. So that didn't cash in. I knew I was going to lose the Mahomes um, uh, attempts total by, by halftime. That was de- done. That was dead in the water. The Eagles controlled the ball in the first half and really through the first three quarters. I think it was like 32 minutes to 13 minutes in terms of time of possession through the first three quarters. Uh, and that really was, you know, you, you for, from the Eagles perspective, a script that could not have worked out any better for them. Gainwell came through sky Moore anytime touchdown that one cashed. Um, the one that, that shocked me Sharpie longest punt Philadelphia Eagles. They kicked our ass on that. It was like a 57 yarder, 59 yarder. The guy got off. Um, so, uh, but uh, across the board, it was very enjoyable. I love seeing pregnant Rihanna. That was a f- absolute highlight. I wish I'd bet on her outfit. Uh, red felt like a, like a, like a great choice. It was a, sitting there at plus 800. I didn't get in on it, but on, on balance really loved that entire super bowl. Really enjoyed it. Um, really enjoyed the vagaries of the scripts, you know, back and forth and Jalen hurts. Wow. Is that, is that a big, big time, big, big play, big moment guy or what? I mean, we, we, we got that confirmation and affirmation and the true shame of the Super Bowl is that he didn't have the ball with a minute and a half left with a chance to either tie the score or grab the lead um, because the, 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 the dumb penalty right there at the end of the game. But, but otherwise I was very satisfied. That's the way I'll put it. Yeah. So, I mean, we, I'll, I'll start big picture here. Um, one of the things that I am a huge believer in is experience and building on something that you do, doing something well and just practicing it, drilling it, drilling it, drilling it, and getting really good at that thing that you do. And here's the issue. Teams that are more pass-first teams that continue to pass the football all four quarters get pretty good at what they're trying to do. And those types of teams tend to be better when the game is late and they need to pass the football. And that is the huge difference between the Eagles and the Chiefs. The Eagles are a team that as soon as they possibly could, they would turtle up and start running the football and they wouldn't be passing the ball. And Jalen Hurts didn't have the ball in his hands late in the games. And he was not throwing the football frequently, whether they were leading or not this season. We talked about how little experience he had in those circumstances. Whereas Patrick Mahomes, even if they were winning late in games, he was passing the ball a ton. So I really felt like um, that would have benefited the Eagles a little bit more to have some more of that experience to, to, to get those reps in the passing the football when they were when they were late in the game. Now, not to say Jalen Hurts had a bad game. In fact, I would argue that, you know, if you were to tell me that their run game uh, where their running backs average 2.6, probably the biggest surprise of the entire game for me, their running backs averaged. 2.6 yards per carry. You're going to tell me that. 2.7, rather. They ran it only 17 times because they could not run the football. Their defense gives up over 30 points. 
you're telling me those two big factors, this elite defense gives up over 30 points and the running game, this elite run game averages just 2.7 yards per carry. I'm telling you the Chiefs win this game by multiple scores. Like the fact that the Eagles were even in this game with a lead and then of course had the ability to come back and tie it late was a testament to how great Jalen Hurts actually played. So like he he was an absolute stud in this game. I don't think that should get lost on anything. I think of the stupid comments about him not being able to to cut it. And look, I think he we, one of our big questions was could he throw the ball with his shoulder? Like how healthy was that going to be? Were they going to be able to come out and throw the ball? Thank God for the Eagles' sake that they were able to throw the football. And he did perform as well as he did. And all his top receivers stepped up and played great as well for them. Um, so yeah, we, that we was one of the biggest things. We immediately lost the longest completion and longest touchdown bets. Like, first quarter, A.J. Brown, bang, those are dead. Dead in the water, right? We 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 underestimated. And and congrats, game plan-wise, to the Eagles for, for you know going ahead and stretching the field right out of the box, right? Uh, well, I'll just say I didn't have any of those. And and I also wasn't on the Jalen Hurts passing yards props because of the whole issue that we were talking that I was just talking about, which is that what is Jalen Hurts actually going to be forced to do here now that he's playing a good offense? Is he gonna have to pass the ball all four quarters? Are they gonna come out passing the ball early in the game? Like I didn't know how much Jalen Hurts was actually gonna have to throw the ball. So like a lot of guys on the prop side of things got their ass kicked because they were trying to bet some of those. Oh, Jalen Hurts under 264, under 260, um, because you know he hasn't been passing the ball a lot because his shoulder doesn't look good. Like I wasn't buying into any of that. I because I just didn't know. I didn't bet his over. I just didn't bet on that at all because um, I wasn't sure what we were going to get. Another thing about not being sure what we were going to get is so my general process on Super Bowl Sunday. I get back from from the Super Bowl venue. I, I I work for a couple days straight. Then it's Super Bowl Sunday. It's a great day. It's a fun day. Um, but I'm still betting. And I'm still not only firing out props like based on information that I'm receiving up until the 11th hour. Um, I'm giving some of those to to the to my clients as well. Um, and then but I'm also like from time to time like relaxing, taking a break for an hour, having a drink, whatnot. So I'm out even on Super Bowl Sunday, like a couple of neighbors come over for like a porch beer, whatnot. And we're sitting there and they're like, what do you like for the game? Who do you think is going to win the game? And I still was like, I don't know who's going to win this game. I think it could go either way. It could come down to who has the ball last that's going to determine who wins this game. But the one thing I know that I like is the over. And I bet it in the first half, which it easily cleared that. It easily cleared it for the full game as well. Um, but I think part of the moral is you don't have to bet on everything to bet on it. You don't have to let people try Like Everybody wants to know who you think is going to win the game. That's like the most common thing that everybody talks about. But you don't have to bet that way. You could bet however you want to. And so it ended up paying off the, the fact that you didn't pick a team that you thought was going to win the game. It Because here's the thing. Yes, the Kansas City Chiefs ended up winning that game. The Kansas City Chiefs could have easily lost that game. They were the ones who did have the kick uh, fumble return touchdown. They were the ones who did get the ridiculously long um, touchdown return. Uh, sorry, uh, punt return that yes, set them up for a to short touchdown. Yeah. So th like, if they don't have those two things go for them, if they don't even have one of those things go that way, maybe they don't end up winning the game. So it was just a super fun game and, and something had to happen here for the team to win. But it was definitely a, a close and competitive game that I thought um, 
could have gone either way. You you mentioned a little bit on this experience notion, and it and in a game like this where the teams are so evenly matched, and it was the conversation we kept having about how closely matched they were and how happy we were to have the top two seeds. There was a little bit of just the tiniest, uh, it seemed, um, bit of advantage that came from the Chiefs having been there before and thinking about every possible sort of factor in the game. And I know you have a, a perspective on this. I mean, let's start with the football field. For for some reason, the NFL sanctioned an event in front of a worldwide audience on a surface that that would have been in, in a regular season game uh, widely uh, reviled and ridiculed and deservedly so. And, and yet they put that product out there and it had an adverse uh, impact, an outsized adverse impact on the Eagles. I can't recall who in the Twitter feed um, is responsible ultimately for this, the statistical analysis. So apologies for not giving the, sh- the proper shout out, but there was, you know, a, a material difference between number of times the Chiefs slipped versus the number of times that the Eagles slipped. And I think properly there is a, a an advantage um, that that was diminished for the Eagles in terms of that pass rush, not one sack. And we we coming into the game recognized how good the Chiefs had been in general in mitigating pressure that that might turn into sacks, and how good Mahomes in particular is under those circumstances. But when you add in the uncertainty of the surface, it it it, it really tilted the calculus, right? It did. Uh, And look, one of the biggest things for this game to me, um, ultimately, was at the end was when you're betting, I talked about betting that 11th hour stuff. What are what are we actually betting very late in in the in the day? And some of the last things that I bet and the last things that I sent to clients I mean, I think since I got back from Arizona the last three days, probably the props went like eight and two that I sent the clients, like in that batch, like a couple of the different batches that we sent. Uh, Nick Bolton to have the most tackles plus assists. That was my largest prop bet of the entire week. That was then also Kansas City to score a rushing touchdown. That came out then. And, and then the stuff on game day, like within a couple of hours before the game, one of them was Hassan Reddick, under three and a half tackles plus assists. And that was a massive fade on this huge narrative that Eagles are going to get the job done. And Hassan Reddick MVP and all of these, all the bets for two weeks about the hype about betting on Hassan Reddick, two things generally happen. Number one, it gets factored into the odds very quickly. And then those odds keep getting worse and worse as you're trying to bet on that guy as you become third in line, 20th in line, 100th in line, 200th in line to bet on something, the odds are getting worse. And so therefore the odds to bet opposite of that are getting better. And secondly, you have the other team has now been hearing about these main storylines for two weeks. They understand what the, what the biggest talking points are for this other team and what we have to do to make sure that we're going to win this game. And it's to stop the pass rush, to stop uh, Hassan Reddick. And so we bet under uh, Hassan Reddick. Also, we bet under five and a half sacks uh, on game day, you know, Super Bowl Sunday to try to fade the narrative that this was going to be like an Eagle sack fest and they were going to get after Patrick Mahomes and take him down. Let's talk about the field conditions. Okay. Somehow the Chiefs weren't slipping quite as much. And talking to or seeing a, a former Chiefs player, I think it was Mitchell Schwartz, talking about the field conditions after the game. 
he mentioned how much of a focus the Kansas City Chiefs staff and equipment staff places on field surfaces, field conditions, making sure everybody's in the right cleats, days leading up to the game, here's what it could be, here's what we need to be prepared for, making sure during warm-ups, everybody's in the right thing, that everybody looks perfect, that everybody's, not, I don't mean like how well they're dressed, the cleats and how well their footing is doing. Um, and you could tell that the Eagles clearly didn't focus on that as much. And after the game, I think it was Dallas Goddard made a comment on it, or maybe it was a defensive lineman that, you know, a lot of guys did end up switching cleats and it did help them a little bit after they did that. I mean, look, you could blame the field. You can blame the embarrassment of the NFL for, for having that. But this was in large part predictable and shame on the Eagles for not being better prepared because clearly the Chiefs were. That's number one. But number two, how could this have been predictable? Well, there was a football game played that was on national TV on December 31st. It was called the Fiesta Bowl. It was the semifinals for the national championship game between Michigan Wolverines and the TCU Horned Frogs. And that game was at this same stadium. And one of the biggest storylines after the game was everybody slipping all over the place. The surface is really bad for these players and guys were falling down. And I will tell you, House, as I'm running my model, the day, the night of the championship games for AFC, NFC championship, we know who's going to be in the Super Bowl. I'm coming up with my number on the spread on the game. And then we get into Monday morning and then into Tuesday. One of the first things I start looking into First things is I remembered the game that was played there on December 31st. I remembered how many guys were slipping. And you know what the final score was in that game? Like both teams were into the 40s, right? right. I think Huge. I think somebody was into the 50s. Like we had those field conditions lead to more points being scored because the offensive players know where they're going and defensive players don't. That's why when you're playing on like a slight, slightly icy surface, it's better for the offense, actually. Everybody, I'll bet the under, bet the under. No, maybe not bet the under unless it's actively like snowing heavily or windy or like the precipitation is just coming down massively. Like maybe if that surface is a little bit slick, but the air and the wind is okay, like take the over. And that's exactly the type of scenario that I envisioned could happen here. I wasn't confident, but it could have been a possibility. And for that reason... I calculate on a calculated manner, like I wrote 70, what, three page report. I didn't mention it once in there. I didn't talk about it publicly in the media. And I'm not saying I forecasted it, but it was, and it's not the reason I bet the over either at all, but it's a small percentage of the calculus. I was thinking about it and I factored it into, okay, maybe also if that does happen, I like the over even more. I already like the over even if the field's perfectly fine. I hope the field's fine because I want to watch a good game. But if the field is slightly slick, that's going to benefit the over. And that was part of my thought process as well. So look, um, Eagles Eagles should have been a little bit more prepared is all I, all I can say. Yeah, and, 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 and the Chiefs were, and that was, again, in a game of, of uh, you know, Slimmest of, of margins, um, you know, the, the the tiniest bit. And and yet still, if we hadn't had the penalty on Bradbury at the end of the game, we would have had the Eagles with the football, Jalen Hurts with the football, chance to tie the game. And it would have been the true test that that we um, were looking forward to and, and were kind of fascinated by coming in. Um, any other big takeaways from from the way that game played out? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I want to talk a little bit about the defense of the Philadelphia Eagles because I think if there was, if there was, yes, the running game let us down. I think that was the biggest surprise to me. Um, if there was, what what element, if this didn't happen, would you have made the most money on? For me, it was, uh, in in other words, which where did you lose the most money? For yeah. me, it was betting on Miles Sanders. Like I I had a number of different prop bets on Miles Sanders, and part of uh, I don't say it's a trap because it's an advantage if what you think is going to happen does. Um, because it was the Super Bowl, they allowed you to bet on a lot of different markets than they normally would allow you to bet on. So I'm betting on like Miles Sanders' first quarter rushing yards and Miles Sanders' first half rushing yards and Miles Sanders' full game rushing yards and Miles Sanders have the most rushing yards in the game. Like that that market, the full uh, most rushing yards in the in a particular game usually isn't offered. You can't usually bet on first half or first quarter. And so I was betting all those because I liked the Eagles rushing attack here. And they the, the Chiefs were stopping that completely, which made everything fall onto Jalen Hurts' shoulders. And he ended up taking care of business uh, for the most part as it related to having to go out there and try to win your team the game. He did a great job of doing that. He ran for three touchdowns. He was great on the ground. He was great through the air. But the he didn't get support with the other running backs in the offense on the ground. Um, but one of the interesting elements to me, the thing that I was, I, I guess I I think played a bigger factor because if Jalen Hurts hadn't picked up the slack house, then the run game of the Eagles would have been okay. That's what lost them the game. But what really lost them the game in my mind, because Hurts was able to carry that load, what really lost the Eagles the game in my mind uh, was their defense. Just getting steamrolled by the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'll share a couple of numbers. I wrote this up in, in, in an article. Um, there were 570 offensive performances by teams this year in games. Actually, I think it's technically 568 because of the canceled game between the Bills and the Bengals. So yes. 568 offensive games that an offense played this year in the playoffs and in the regular season. The Jonathan Gannon-led Eagles defense allowed the number six highest success rate per play on early downs and the number eight highest success rate on all downs to the Kansas City Chiefs. Let me state that again. Out of 568 games, the Chiefs were number eight overall in success rate. And this is supposedly the number one Philadelphia Eagles defense. I get it. The Chiefs are good. But to deliver literally the eighth best offensive performance we've seen the entire year, that is a colossal blunder for your defense. Forget the fact that they ran the same play twice and scored touchdowns on it, and you <laughs> should have been prepared for either pregame that they might do that or make an adjustment after they score the first touchdown. Like, you let up on a per-play basis the eighth worst success out of 568 games that were being played. You could not stop this team. We knew going into the game that there were going to be some issues. We we pegged this. That's part of the reason we like the overhouse. That yeah, the Eagles defense, you played an easy schedule, and yeah, your stats were okay. But like there are some things that the Chiefs are gonna try to do that you struggle to defend. How are you gonna adjust? Like we just felt like the Chiefs would be able to have some success in doing that. But some of the numbers are still shocking, even despite that. I mean, look at Matt Patrick Mahomes in terms of how frequently he was targeting open receivers, okay? He threw only 7% of passes in the Super Bowl into tight windows 
7% of his total passes went into tight windows. In the AFC Championship, it was 9%. In the divisional round, it was 13%. In the season overall, it was 10% for him. And yet, he didn't have to throw the ball to covered receivers at all. There were guys running open in this Eagles defense. 93% of the time when he was throwing the ball, the guy was open. Um, in the second half, the Chiefs leaned more into what we were saying they should do in the first half of the game, like the whole game in general, which was two factors, House. Throw the ball quickly, throw the ball short. And in the second half, they averaged 4.3 air yards as opposed to 8.2 in the first half. So cut that down basically fit, you know, by half. And threw the ball faster as well. Uh, 2.2 second time to throw versus 2.7 in the first half. And what did I tell you, like, our last podcast leading in the game, 2.6 seconds or more. The Eagles have the number one pass defense, less than 2.6 seconds. They dropped to a league average defense. Well, they threw the ball quicker, 2.2 seconds in the second half, 4.3 air yards and sliced and diced this team. Mahomes went 13 of 14 plus 0.7 EPA per attempt. I mean, like I said, yeah. uh, they, they, they led all these touchdown drives and they weren't punting the ball at all. And this, to me, speaks of Jonathan Gannon and this defense. And, and my frustration with this was this defense and what Jonathan Gannon came from, you know, the Colts, and he was a DB, uh, DB coach there. Now he got his DC job with the Eagles. His defense in 2021 absolutely was terrible. And it wasn't just that the people weren't playing well, the players. It was the scheme itself wasn't that great. And what Howie did is Howie went out and got so much support for him this offseason. He was picking up guys. He was signing guys. He was trading for guys. I mean, Howie did more to help this, like build a Super Bowl caliber defense than I think any uh, any general manager did his entire offseason. And he didn't even stop. Remember after the game against the Commanders where the Seawards upset the Eagles, Howie goes and signs two starting defensive tackles who were like in just, you know, on the bench, bring those bodies in to help out this run game. Amazing. Did everything he could to try to make this team better. And this, this scheme, it's not a good scheme. Anytime you go up against a good quarterback, even an above average quarterback, they're able to have a lot of success against this scheme. And that's with like elite players at level, at multiple levels of the defense. And so, um, I am always of the belief that if you're going to go with a defensive-minded head coach, the dude better be fucking elite at what he does. Like, elite at scheming things up, elite at running and calling a defense, and I don't feel like Jonathan Gannon is that guy. So now, <laughs> Jonathan Gannon has some other benefits house over like a Lou Anarumo. I think one of the biggest winners of this whole off-season coaching cycle is the Cincinnati Bengals for keeping Lou Anarumo on staff and not yeah. losing him to a head job. But like Jonathan Gannon's probably, he's a younger guy. He's probably much better spoken. He's probably a much better manager of people, leader of men, all those types of things that like I think a uh, a uh, uh, ownership group might be attracted to when he's doing these interviews. And so he probably interviews really well. And that's one of the reasons why he landed the job. And let's hope for the Cardinals sake that he is a brilliant leader of men and he's really good at what he does. But I just got to tell you that, you know, from a defensive side of things, I don't think he's all of a sudden this massive upgrade to the Cardinals defense to likes it's going to catapult them to like a top five defense just because of the stuff he's bringing to the table. And that's really what you need in this day and age when you're going out there and hiring a defensive minded head coach, in my opinion. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. 
Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. That sets us up for talking a little bit about the speculative market, the futures market. I mean, we, we can start right there. It's too early yet um, to really have a conviction on, on very much. All that's out there right now are, are really Super Bowl odds. And I'm not, uh, I personally am not in a, in a position where I want to give a book my money in February and wait till next February to see the outcome of, of that. And especially on, on speculative tickets, like, you know, I'm not um, giving somebody my money on a 50 to one ticket that has no chance of cashing, right? Like uh, I don't need a participation trophy, uh, futures tickets, you know, like, Oh, Oh, uh, I think the bears, uh, it's a great price. You know, they're sitting there at, at 80, 80 to one. Well, how about this? The fucking Chicago bears aren't winning the super bowl, uh, in February of 2024. So even if those odds go from 80 to one to 20 to one, because they go on, a, on, a, on a great run, um, they still aren't winning the Super Bowl. And so what I have is a losing ticket. So congratulations to me on on having some, you know, notional value, but that doesn't translate into actual money back in my pocket. I know that it's too early to really have a perspective on the Cardinals. Do you think that uh in in general, as we start to see some win total prices come out, some some potential division winner uh things come out, that the books will price based on the public what they think the public's perception of coaches like Gannon in uh Arizona and la- like Shane Steichen in in Indianapolis what those guys might deliver uh in in terms of of outcomes yes i think in general your approach is sound i will say if you are good at you know hedging and managing your funds that once you get to the if you get a team to the playoffs then you can start 
trying to make good on a long shot ticket. So like if the bears could get there to at least the postseason, then you could start trying to make money for yourself on that ticket. It's still work. It's still putting more money into the market to try to guarantee that you will make some money off of that ticket. Um, and ultimately that ticket is going to lose, right? Let's say you have the bears, you they make it to the wild card round and then they lose in the wild card round. But so that ticket is now zero. But because you have that ticket, you could have bet on their opponent to win the game and felt very good about this opportunity where you're going to win regardless. And and as a result, you are going to make money. But you have to make sure that team is good enough to get to the playoffs. And for my perspective, um, what I tend to do and I've had a lot of success and everybody can do with is good for them and what they like to do. And so there are certainly some people out there that that all they care about is closing line value and they're going to happily bet a ticket on 100 to 1 if it's going to close 80 to 1 or 80 to 1 if it's going to close 60 to 1 and they're going to feel great about that. And 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 then they're going to hope that they can do something with it in the future. And if that's what you love to do, do what you love to do. Like who am I to tell you don't do what you love to do? For me personally, I would have I would feel much better about a ticket in my pocket that I've done all the work in and all the research for. And I know my track record on this stuff. Last year in the futures, we went like 17 and five. The year before we cleaned up as well. Every year that I spend months writing this book and doing the research and, and outworking almost everybody in the industry to try to come up with insightful things that not as many other people are analyzing. And then I go and bet on those things. And then I publish my book and then other people see it. And then the market gets crashed because other people are reading some of the stuff that I liked about team A or didn't like about team B. Um, at that at that point, I'm still going to have a, a ticket that's going to be closing line value. And I'd feel much better about, yeah, I didn't get this team at 80 to 1, but I got them at 70 to 1 or 68 to 1. And I love the ticket that I have right now. And that market's still going to close a 50 to one because of like my analysis that I start to share publicly. So I'm still crushing closing line value, but at least I know I don't have a ticket at 80 to one that two months down the road after I've conducted my research, I don't even like anymore. Like, so I am very patient with what I do from a futures perspective. I generally don't bet anything in February for the futures market. That's just me. That's what works for me. That's I end up making a bunch of money on futures bets and and player full season player props and things of that nature but I don't I'm not betting these things the day the market comes out in in February or even in March yeah. I'm waiting until I've done my research and I will share this I speaking of research while we were doing our pre-call I went through I looked at the last 10 Super Bowl winners house the last 10 so since 2013 where were these teams lined in the Super Bowl market before the season started. And I want you to guess how many of those 10, so 10, how many of those 10 were outside top five? Outside, had longer odds than the top five odds Ten before years. the season, like after the Super Bowl. I'm trying to think, when was, the when was the last time the Giants beat the Patriots? That would be the only one that I could think of. Did that happen well, within the, the last the 10 years? The first one was 20, 2007, I think. The last one was... Um, 12 was 11, 10 oh, or 11. So I missed it. So, yeah, it's, so not, it's outside of that. So as well. I'm going to say zero times then. My answer is so, zero. Okay. The answer the is Eagles, actually two. The Eagles beat, the, Eagles beat yes. the Patriots. So the Eagles is one, obviously. The Eagles in 2017, because Carson Wentz yes. like, had this great season that people weren't expecting, yep. they were 22. They were number 22 in odds to win the Super Bowl 
after last year's Super Bowl, this time back in that season, and they ended up winning it. And then the other, the only other team was actually in 2020, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because they hadn't signed Tom Brady yet. Oh, okay. Tom Brady was still like, we didn't know if he was going to go to Tampa. And at the time, they were the 19th, 19th right. uh, furthest enough. from the most favored. But we are literally talking about eight of the nine teams were a lot of them were the number one team most expected to win, like the Chiefs were this year, who were tied with the Buffalo Bills at this time last year, odds to win the Super Bowl. But the rest of them were number five, number four, uh, and actually there was no number three or number two. It was either uh, number four twice, the Denver Broncos in 2015, the New England Patriots in 2014, the Seattle Seahawks in 2013, uh, the LA Rams in 2021. They were the fourth longest uh, to win at that point in time. That was, I think, before they got Stafford potentially as well. Uh, but you see, it's not really these like long shots that are actually going to win the Super Bowl for the most part. It sometimes happens that if you love betting on stuff that's very unlikely to happen, but has a small potential that could, you know, go, go for it, do whatever you feel is best. But I could tell you from somebody who's done really well uh, betting over the last decade and a half or so, like this is not a good strategy for me personally to go and start trying to spread a bunch of money on the futures marketplace at, at, at long odds. I'd really, I'd rather feel really good about what I was doing. We're, what we're really talking about is we're taking a shit all over the Super Bowl odds. I mean, that that's really, because there's a lot of ways to invest in futures that make uh, a ton more sense. And, you know, as the information over the course of this winter into the spring into the summer, and it gets really juicy in the summer because that's when the moving pieces, moving parts start to settle down, right? Post-draft, then you have information uh, sufficient to start making some informed decisions like who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Houston Texans? Who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers? Like some of these open, you know, we'll have some of these uh, musical chairs, butts will land in seats because, you know, the, the the trade market in advance of the draft will, will produce some of that. But my, I have really very little interest in messing around at all with the Super Bowl uh, odds market. I much, much, much prefer to play in win totals and to play in, in divisional outcomes. And especially like looking for teams that quietly might've finished in last or, or third in their division that have an opportunity to jump up. I mean, I felt great about having a Giants ticket at eight to one to win the NFC East. Now they finished uh, third in the NFC East, but God damn it, they were competitive and I was happy to, to have that ticket. And alongside that ticket, I had them over their win total that cashed and that that more than easily compensated for the the division uh, outcome as well. But um, just in terms of like some some teams that you have your your eye on that might be under the radar now February where there could be stuff you know again we'll we'll get all, every, information is everything and we'll have the information that flows from now into the into the summer. You'll be knee deep in the book all the way up until when when's the book finished? When do you typically finish? Uh, mid June, it gets like processed, it gets, uh, edited and finalized and everything like that. And then we try to get it out at the end of June. So, yeah. um, and, and I start working on that here a few weeks from now. Right. And of course, a big part of it is the dates that you mentioned. Uh, the final coaching carousel is huge. Well, I actually, I mean, I'll just transition into this if you want, like what I can tell you this, I'll just cut to the chase. 
I don't know if teams isolated. I'm like, oh, well, this is definitely a team I'm going to bet on. This is a team I'm definitely going to bet against. There are some things that I know that I think that I want to do, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not convicted enough to, to share them right now and to, to tell people to go and bet it on the, on the Super Bowl market. Cause that's really all that you can do out there right now. But what I will say is this. What are some of the biggest factors that play into whether or not we think a team is going to have success one year versus the next? Well, I mean, I can tell you, coaching is huge. Coaching cannot be overlooked enough. It's it's such a massive element to how good a team is actually going to perform that um, whether you got the same coach and he's running it back or you got a new coach who can implement something, we all know about what Brian Dayball was able to do with a ragtag group of garbage that was left on the side of the street by Dave Gettleman. He was still able to do something with that group. Um, so coaching is a big factor. Schedule is a massive factor as well. I mean, I don't think, I think not enough people look at schedules. You know who had the easiest schedule in the league this year? Philadelphia Eagles. You know who had the fourth easiest schedule in the league this year? The Kansas City Chiefs. You know who had number two in terms of easy schedule? San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, who also like surpassed expectations by some, I guess, and made it to the playoffs. They, they had the third easiest schedule. So having an easy schedule absolutely plays a role into how you think a team is going to perform. But we don't yet know. Like, first of all, don't sit here and try to tell me strength is schedule based upon win-loss record from what we saw this year. That's the most garbage way to look at strength of schedule. You want to try to look at strength of schedule based on, I like to use forecasted win totals, which the market isn't made yet. Those markets get bet and firmed up into shape. That should help you feel a little bit better and stronger about your projected strength of schedule as that market gets bet a little bit more and those numbers get firmed up. But you look at the futures market that you put your own little tweaks and spins on it uh, based upon some of your projections. And, and that's how you could utilize a, a strength of schedule. But schedule is absolutely massive as is coaching. And then what players do you have? What what are their contracts? You know, I was gonna glad we got into this house because, you know, Patrick Mahomes, after making peanuts for years, Ended up, I think they paid him 35 million on the cap. Like his cap hit was 35 million uh, this past season. And they survived that. They won the Super mm -hmm. Bowl despite that. Now his cap is going to jump to 47 million this upcoming season. But the salary cap actually increased more than what a lot of the teams were expecting it to do this past offseason, year over year. So now, I mean, you're looking at gravy. If they could build a Super Bowl, caliber roster with him moving from 7 million against the cap to, to 36 million, which is, was at last year, then, I mean, going up, you know, to 47 million, I think they're still going to be just fine with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes there. So, um, it's, it's who's on the roster, free agents that you bring in, how you've built your team, how much these guys are counting against the cap will help determine what you can do in the future, who you're losing. Um, there's like so much as it relates to the roster. So it's like coaches, roster, and schedule. Then you think about the expectations placed on these teams that the betting market set, that the bookmaker set. And a lot of that has to do with, well, was there any bad luck they had last year? Or, you know, the turnover differentials or records in one score games and these types of things that you can come down to that you then say, hey, look, you know, this team was like the Minnesota Vikings. The past several years were horrific in one score games. And we felt like we might see regression this year. So that was part of the calculus, like out of 
20 different reasons we like the Vikings to have a better season this year. That was one of 20, but of course, they way exceeded their record in these one-score games, and yeah. that was absurd in the positive manner for them. So there's a lot of these factors that you have to look forward to and, and, and incorporate. And I could tell you, if, if you just go fire the board willy-nilly right now on Super Bowl futures, you haven't done your homework on any of this stuff yet. Well, and I get can't. it. There are some because you can't. There are some people out there though, House, just like having the like being able to say, look at these eight tickets I got on, and now the odds are much lower. And then the team has like a, you know, a 10 and five record late in the season and might be in the playoff hunt. And you can flash up a ticket that you got. You're only sharing the one ticket that you got and, and the eight other tickets that you did that you got that are going to lose. Like you don't share those, but you still have value on that one ticket. And then it's just a matter of trying to hedge and do all the other work that you have to do. So um, it's not for me, but I could see why some people like doing it. And it, it Betting is fun. We're doing yeah. a podcast about betting because betting is fun, <laughs> but you always want to try to make plus EV bets that are that are intelligent, not just uh, those that have a little bit of closing line value too. Yeah, I, I, it's it's not for me. And, and you know, I was uh, being hyperbolic um, in, in shitting all over the Super Bowl market because I, I understand that it is fun to have an 80 to one ticket on somebody. Um, Teams of interest. Let's just, we, we we don't have to talk about it in terms of Super Bowl odds, but um, I do have a, a, a I want to bounce like three teams off of you and, and see what okay. your, you know, February response is. What do you think is possible with the Denver Broncos? A team with a, a formidable defense um, that just took it on the chin all season long. They still, notwithstanding the absolute malpractice on the offensive side of the ball, through the combination of a uh, incompetent head coach and um, a guy that that uh, had a plug inserted into his hip, um, what do you think is the difference in in terms of their potential for this upcoming year? Well, you've got a lot of turnover in that division, anyways. First of all, you got the Chiefs who are great, and then you've got the the Chargers who have a new offensive coordinator that could be addition by subtraction. Um, you got the Raiders. Who are changing, and you got you got obviously the Broncos. So that right then and there, it's like you got a difficult path to work through in order to get to anywhere at the end of the day, which was yeah. always an impediment to the Broncos heading into this year, and certainly at that point in time. Sean Payton's going to be fun to watch. It's going to yep. be really exciting to watch what he does with that team. So at this point in time, if we want to completely ignore the schedule, I, I do think there's a lot to like about the Denver Broncos. Um, and I'm excited to see what he's able to do from uh, how can he resuscitate Russell Wilson's career to some extent, because it looked pretty darn bad. I don't know that as much as I love Sean Payton, I don't know that I want to be betting on Russ at this point in time. But yeah. I, I I understand um, how much of an upgrade Sean Payton is. And I talked about how important coaching is. OK, well, uh, I, I think that part of what he had to have been promised in agreeing to take that job was the ability to cut Russell Wilson because, you know, if it's a sunk cost, it's a sunk cost, but why would you continue to sacrifice seasons if he just can't play? So we'll, we'll know pretty early on and we'll also know what they do in terms of the backup quarterback market. Let's keep an eye on what Denver does in terms of potential, you know, replacements for Wilson, whether it's a seasoned veteran or, or somebody else. But, you know, I, I don't, 
I don't think Sean Payton's going to give Russell Wilson a ton of leash. I don't care about the money. The money is gone. They're, they're, they can't do anything about it. They made that bad investment. They're, they can't recoup on it. It doesn't seem. Um, but that will be a fun one. I shit talk the Bears, but I really do like the Bears potentially this, this season. I feel like, you know, the, the Lions will garner all of the, you'll take up all of the um, oxygen in the room um, because of the way they finished the season. And it was awesome. And their hard knocks performance was awesome. And Dan Campbell was great. And Ben Johnson is an incredibly inventive offensive uh, coordinator. But quietly, with Justin Fields and a shit ton of money to spend on improving that defense. And you mentioned earlier teams that might've sa- suffered some adverse luck. I think they were in the bottom tier, maybe in the, the near the very bottom of teams that, that they were unlucky over the course of the season, by the way, that metric is, is defined. Do you have a perspective on the bears at all? Well, I will say this. Um, they did play the fifth toughest schedule last year of opponents. And, um, you're not expecting a, a young quarterback to solve everything, to figure it all out. You're expecting a team to slowly build around him. I think what they do this offseason cycle in terms of who they're adding is going to make a big difference for what I'm going to believe about the Bears and what they can do this year. So I'm not running to jump in on them right now. I do agree with you that that division, like the Vikings, are not as good as what they look like from a record perspective this past year. The Green Bay Packers may be taking a step back because we don't know what's Rodgers in the tour of darkness or whatever this thing is called that's going to happen with him. But we also know that, you know, the Lions are are a great story and a fun team, but they give up a lot of points, too, on that other side of the ball. And uh, and as long as Justin Fields can stay healthy, this team can be, quote unquote, fun. They have to figure out a more sustainable model for offense on early downs rather than Justin Fields just bailing them out on third downs. That has to happen. And I don't know if it's going to, but whatever they do from a personnel perspective is going to weigh in big time for me in terms of my projection for what I think this team is going to do next year. Well, I could do this with another 10 teams, but let's just let, you know, uh, the, the, the sort of winter season play out a little bit here. Let some of these musicals, some butts land in seats in this, this musical chairs thing. Cause there's still, every ball is up in the air, but, but, uh, the ball that's in my hands is the fantastic season. We enjoyed together. Warren Sharp, another fantastic job by us here on the ringer gambling show. Um, thank you for, for taking me along for the ride. Once again, my friend. Hey, loved it as always. We're going to be back all summer long, sharing other betting analysis as we get closer to that point in time, uh, talking about some of the odds changes and things of that nature. And uh, certainly going to be getting together with you in person at MGM, hopefully not too long from now to uh, to have a drink and relax a little bit in a more uh, relaxing, exciting atmosphere than uh, than all the stress and pressure of the football season. Because I can tell you, when you when you do this for a living and your job is to 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 win betting on these games, to make money for other people, there's a lot of stress. It, it, take it extremely seriously. Uh, but as soon as we can like let some of that stress off, it, it's such a good feeling. So great season as well. Enjoyed it once again. And that'll do it, House. Thank you to everyone for listening today. Thank you guys for being such great betting buddies all season long and contributing your bets. It's been a lot of fun to read those and analyze those. The Ringer Gambling Show will return on Friday when the East Coast Bias guys share their NBA All-Star Game bets. Thanks to Joe House for joining me all season long and to Mike Wargon and Steve Cerruti for producing the show as well. Good luck with all your bets this weekend. 